Recording. Go live and go live. And here we go. I am live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another great Tech Tuesday here at Beastmo Engineering. I have an audience here, so if I look at them, they're making faces at me and I'm messing up, so forgive me. And those of you on YouTube, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I do this every Tuesday, where we talk tech and everything exciting, which is pretty cool. Ace No Brace. That's a cool screen name. Wave to you. Nathan Heist, good seeing you. Oh, so sick from back in the day, good seeing you. Yo, Uncle Fred. Fast Flores, brother, good seeing you. Leo, my good friend, how are you? Hello, Dilly, I'm great. Hope you're doing fantastic. Wow, 40 of you so far, very quickly, I appreciate that. Jeremiah, good afternoon. Irv, single cam. Sorry, it's kind of dark here, but it's cold in the back of the shop. I'm not going to stay there for an hour. Everyone's laughing at me. And Kevin's up front. It's freezing back there. So early on today, if you haven't caught it, if you take a look, I have it up on Instagram here for 24 hours. I did this pretty cool. Hello, Sam. Good seeing you. Hello, Zorinda. Hi, Damien. I, um, I'm doing well. Maratis. Kevin ITV. Oh, Kevin's here. Oh, you may want to get that. Yeah. See who it is. And if not, take a message. Um, good afternoon, Built by Drew. Hello, Fast Flores. Porsche Tales. Um, K, I'm telling you, K, K the world. K is like the small LS swap now. <laughs> so I'm seeing that so much, so much. Hello, Alfie. Good seeing you. Alfie, I did it today for you. I did a pure all um, presentation to the team and put all of you on there just for you. So if you didn't see it, Alfie, I didn't see it in entirety. I still have it up here on Instagram for another 23 hours now, which is pretty nice. Hello, 813, nothing special here at the shop, in the conference room, because it's cold in the back of the shop with all the cars, it's pretty crazy. And today, I want to start off with something really exciting. Um, exciting for me, hopefully exciting for you, but it's about connecting rods. The unsung hero of the engine, internal combustion engine, which a lot of people don't pay attention to. And I really want to talk about the difference between the H-beam, so it's like an H kind of pattern here on this, like an H, like that. Or an I-beam. And we'll also get into different materials as well. And why one is more desirable over the other. So talking first about connecting rods, look at the I-beam. This is a pretty cool design. Look at it, it's pretty slender. So as the engine turns, it does a great job in cutting through the taffy and the mist that forms in the crankcase of oil and air, which is pretty nice. So it does cut through that very nicely, allows for very small absorption of energy by the crankcase and the, it's almost like knife edging your crank. So it cuts through very easily and makes a, a, you know, a very good opportunity for power and reliability and all that stuff. But just because of the design, because of how the gradient of force is distributed on this rod, it doesn't do extremely well for lower RPM high torque engines. It tends to fracture quite easily, even though it has this very nice windage friendly uh, design. And that's why you have applications like the H-Beam, which can handle lower RPM torque and some nice high RPM power as well. It may not have the windage advantages of the I-Beam, but it is my rod of choice and very popular one as well. That's why they're fairly cost effective compared to this. Now, this is the same application these are for like a Porsche engine, which you see dimensionally, they're, they're very similar, which is pretty nice, right? So that's pretty cool. Now, what's really interesting is that this is about 20 grams lighter than this. And this can handle even more stressors than that. 
But what do you do if you really want to experiment or you really want something super lightweight and you don't want to bear the expense of what Albert loves, which is titanium rods and NSX? You can go with aluminum or aluminum. And this is really old school. This is some old school VA stuff. This is like a Howard rod, old school East LA, Central LA rod that held a lot, but it's like a Honda Busel application. And the great thing about this, you can have the weight advantages. It's very cost effective to manufacture, so you have the opportunity to experiment very easily. It's very forgiving because it has the opportunity to be a bit of a shock absorber. So when you have some detonation, it absorbs it very nicely. But the bad thing, I know it is huge, and you just, oh, you beat me to it. You're very good. Thank you so much, Mark V. Because of the strength, to get the strength aluminum, it has to be this large. And because the aluminum expands very nicely, you may see this pin right here, that pin. That is a, a locator for the bearing. This can expand so much that the crushing the bearing is not enough to keep the bearing in place. You have to drill a hole through the bearing, one bearing, and have this locator intact. I'm getting a poor connection, which is sad, which I shouldn't be. You have this locator intact so that the bearing doesn't spin. But it's great for experimentation because you can do very small quantities in a very cost-effective manner. And for drag racing or high horsepower crazy racing as well, it's great. The longevity is not as ideal as what you may seal with a steel rod, but it's much, much lighter and can absorb really bad things happening to the engine much easier. Also, these expand more than this. You can do a piss in the head clearance on an inline four light assembly or about 30 thou. You need to do at least 50 thou with this so you don't smack the head when the engine warms up. And you don't want this in snow regions when it's cold because you can get hot oil splashing on a cold rod and you can shatter it. So, Great for experimentation, great for drag racing in warm weather, very lightweight, great to experiment. Wonderful for high RPM, low torque engines, which is fantastic. Great for low torque applications where windage can give you an advantage. Some all motor, maybe small stuff, all motor Porsche, all motor Honda, all motor Toyota. It's pretty cool. These seem to be a little bit more expensive. Net net, H beams reign supreme in terms of cost, availability, and ability to also handle low RPM torque which is fantastic. Uh, yes, you made it in time, Dark Wave. Thank you so much for joining us, you know. Um, is anyone having issues with Wi-Fi? Like, guys, let me know, because if we're having issues, I can go out and come back in, you know. Will I be looking to post to the UK? Well, I, won't, I don't look to have my facility moved there, but I go to UK at least once a year, which is pretty nice, you know. Thank you so much, Briss, for the kind words. I saw a question here. Are the rods yourself for D-Series no notch, or do you have to notch the block? Yes. You do have to notch the blocks for what I do tend to sell here. And why is that important? Because if you make the H-beam rod thin enough to clear for a D-series 90 stroke, it's not strong. And I have customers who make everything from 150 horsepower in a rotor's application to north of 800. And they want rods that can work for them. Notching the bottom end is not a big deal. It's what you have to do to clearance, give at least 50,000 clearance between the rod end to be able to allow you for no contact and a very long, you know, liable engine. It's not a big deal to be able to get the integrity and strength that you need. Even my level 3.6 camshafts for the D-Series, the cams are so big, you have to clearance the galley in the head for oil. It's what you have to do to make the power. It's a small machining operation to get the reliability you need, you know? The H-beams you see made by Eagle, man, the eBay, are they from the same shop? No. Um, the Eagle ones, definitely, I know they have their own thing going, which is pretty interesting. Um, the eBay stuff, I, I don't purchase that stuff, so I really don't know. I don't know where it comes from. But um, I like Eagle stuff. Eagle is what I actually have, and I have the ESP, really nice, polished, uh, shot-peened, high-surface-tension stuff. 
in the waggle band, which is pretty nice. The waggle band I put up today, which is nice. Uh, aluminum is also good for vibration. Yes, anything that has to do with absorption of shock energy, aluminum, this is pretty, pretty good, you know? Okay, we're going to oil for my Mark 4 Golf, GTI with a VR4 swap, daily driven. I'm a very hot country. Definitely Purell. Purell is the way to go. I ship overseas. If in Europe, we have people out there. If in Africa, we have people out there, but definitely the Purell is right behind me. I was just reviewing it earlier on today. I think I have the 1040, which works extremely well for high temperatures and crazy build engines, which is pretty nice. So you can do very well with that. Um, are we hiring what's up, what's, what's upcoming from Orange County? Hello, Nora from Orange County. If you want to join the team, send a email with your resume to sales at bsmall.com and maybe you can be part of our exciting team here. Um, my favorite car, I get this every Tech Tuesday. So I'll share it again because I love talking about it. I don't have a favorite vehicle in particular. You should fast forward as you love it. I kind of broke my cars down into cool, popular factor, fun, and scary. So what's the most popular one I have now? It's kind of a tie between the wagon and the van. The wagon is awesome because it's all-wheel drive, really fast, sequential gearbox, really cool. The van is so recognizable, so it's one of my favorite tree, you know, duo of cars. When it comes to, I would just say sheer enjoyment, that's just absolutely fantastic. I can't beat the center seat Porsche. So the red boxman I call her. Um, yeah, I know, BBT telling again. I'm answering it, I'm here, you know. Um, by all means, the center seat is the way to go because it's, it's extremely balanced, has the power and balance like you're one with the car. It's like a, like a go-kart on steroids. And when it comes to what scares me, the blue Porsche, the blue Porsche with the rear turbos hanging out that I did a video of shooting fire yesterday, I think, the day before. That is frightening. It's, it's a fun car. It gives you, it puts you right at the edge of control and lack of control, which is pretty cool. Which one, Sam? I assume the red one, because you built it. It was really nice. Thank you so much, Nora. Thank you. Is it financially feasible to put a turbo on a stock 83904? It depends on what your budget is. Doing a custom bespoke setup like that with wiring and engine management solution could be as cost effective as five grand with components and help, and if you know how to weld and fabricate, to ballooning to 20, which is pretty crazy, you know? Um, hello, Travis West. Good seeing you. Thank you for joining me this wonderful afternoon. You can't find any for your engine anywhere. What are you looking for, Grand Yoginis? I kind of missed it, you know? Uh, if you're on a rotary, would there be a significant benefits? Have you tried it? So we have clients who have, with much success, only if you don't have the oil injection into your fuel system. So you know the standard rotary, 13B, 12A, 20B, whatever the case may be, has an orifice that allows crankcase oil to be consumed by the engine. If you have a system that's standalone, where you have, you know, you're doing something with fuel, unique, and you don't ingest crankcase engine oil, then yes. Rotaries, because they tend to ingest engine oil, require Worst case, a semi-sand, best case, a mineral. But to give you the protection and longevity and control and heat dissipation that you need, if you have a separate system for, for your in, in, induction and crankcase, then yes, you can. Hope that makes sense. Ling is asking, what are the benefits of sequential transmission? Above and beyond just being badass, just absolutely fun to drive. It, a sequential can take a stock car, you can take a stock Corolla, put a sequential and it just makes it an entire different driving experience. But here's what's great about sequential. It minimizes the ability for you to miss gears because you can miss gears with an H-pattern setup. The shifting is very much reduced. So when you pull, pull and push, the time it takes to go from one gear to another, 
using electronics to your advantage to reduce power to allow the gearing shift to, to happen helps you significantly reduce your lap times or track times if you're on the drag strip. So that's very good. Above and beyond that, most sequential gearboxes exist in a straight cut gear configuration. So what does that mean? You don't spend a lot of time and energy absorbing via friction or quieting it down. You don't absorb a lot of energy. So you may have a standard gearbox, rear wheel drive, front wheel drive, let's say 17% drivetrain loss. You may go to a well-designed sequential, you may have a 10% drivetrain loss. So the advantage of power in terms of less losses in the, in the drivetrain and being able to reduce lap times or elapsed times on a drag strip, which is nice. Wi-Fi is glitching there saying, let me see, I shouldn't be on Wi-Fi. I'm not on Wi-Fi. So, um, guys, I, I'm not on Wi-Fi, I'm on regular 4G, so I don't know why it's glitching. I can, let me know if it still misbehaves. If so, I will leave and come out. Kevin, how's it looking over there? Okay. Um, tell you what, for those of you on Instagram, I'm going to go out and come back in. So hang tight, guys. I hate doing that because I end up losing a bunch of people. I know. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to go out. I'm going to exit the app. Get rid of all this other stuff. And then look at... I have a strong signal. And I'm on LTE. Wow. Okay. Let's go back in. Maybe it's the system. It's very peculiar. It's quite annoying, actually. Okay. So, Kevin, I'm going to go live again. I'm live now again. Guys, so sorry for the Instagram glitches. But I'm back, and hopefully we have a better signal. Hello, Inject Tuning. Thank you for joining me. Inject Tuning, let me know. AJ, good seeing you. Let me know if it's better now or if it's still rubbish, if it's still glitching. Um, Kevin, you're out there. You can probably tell me if it's still glitching as well. Not so far. Not so far so good? King Weston, 21, waves to you. Thank you, Drifter Tim. AJ, good seeing you. Long time no speak, AJ. Um, AJ, a bunch of your stuff came in, except I'm waiting for the Rywire stuff. I don't know what's going on. Better, says Guy. Thank you, Guy Gillette. Appreciate that very much. Lab Monkey, hello. Young Girls Boy, <laughs> good afternoon. Good seeing you. Louis, good seeing you. Dylan, hello. Tim Koo, on site. Good seeing all of you. Thank you and welcome back. Jeremiah, Jim, Genghis Khan, you have a cool screen name. I really like that. Bino, SRT8, hello. Tony Boyd, let me know, guys, if this signal is much better. Because before, a moment ago, I was glitching like crazy, like crazy. Went out, closed the app, came back in. I'm not on Wi-Fi. I'm on 4G LTE on T-Mobile. And it's misbehaving. So, so sorry, guys. Let me know if it's much better now. Earlier on, I was talking about rods. We talked about I-beams and the windage advantages there. We talked about H-beams and its ability to handle low RPM torque and high RPM power. Thank you so much, Geeman. And we talked about aluminum rods and advantages for experimentation, lightweight, and absorption of vibration and detonation, which is pretty nice. You know, have I built any UTV engines? No, I haven't, brother. I have not. I've been limited to a lot of inline four, V6, inline six, and eight series engines and the occasional V10. Hello, Shell. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Um, what modifications are needed or recommended for building a, a NA high RPM engine? First, Ado, 
The key to making power with a high RPM and an engine is in the head. Hello, MJ Photograph. Thank you so much for the wonderful photos you took, which allowed me to do what I had to do today to let people know about Tech Tuesday. Secondly, above and beyond being able to flow very nicely, you have to be able to have your valve train handle the rigors, pressures, and stability or lack thereof of high RPM. So what I've done very well, I've done everything from beehives to straight linear single springs to dual springs to triple springs. And all I've done many times is to find a harmonic or not find a harmonic that can disrupt and create float and issues with my valve train. Um, reverse head to B series, it looks really cool, but it doesn't really make any power. You're just taking the same head, same flow, just turning it the other way, which is cool. It looks really cool, but it doesn't make any more power than factory, you know. Um, any other books on how to build horsepower to learn more about camshaft science? Yes, there is. Um, there's Airflow Basics. Um, what I would do is send the Arthur, oh, I'm drawing a blank. On Air, it's Airflow Basics, it's a blue book, has a pretty crazy graph on front. The name does, I don't remember, but I'll try and put that up tomorrow. I'll take a photo of it and try and put it up for you guys so you can be able to see that. But there is another book that can tell you more insights on camshaft design, you know? Um, thoughts on intercooler versus condenser. Well, it really depends. So condenser, intercoolers, they're all heat exchange devices. The thin count, design, the medium of heat exchange, all determines. That's a bit of a broad um, question, super broad. It's like asking, you know, what's a better car to get? But it really depends on the application and what you're doing. I can tell you one thing as a good rule of thumb, liquid air setups, whether you use a condenser, or a well-designed condenser or a heat exchange of an intercooler, liquid to airs are very efficient. It adds complexity and some density. But then again, um, does a great job, smashing job when designed well in cooling and keeping air temps close to ambient, which I love very much. Air to airs are very simple, very straightforward, whether you're looking at a condenser or a heat exchange, just depending on design. And it can do a very good job in allowing you to create a cooling medium for the compressed air that's much more hotter. But is not as efficient as a properly designed liquid air, you know? Water to air versus fluid, oh, you just talked about that. I, I just talked about it, no problem, you know? Do you think a 5.3 LS in a Del Sol with a rear-wheel drive conversion would be a cool for drifting? Yes, it would be awesome cool for drifting. Except from what I gather for the proper drift, you kind of want an FR layout. So if you're gonna put the engine in front, that'd be cool. Um, if you're gonna put the engine in back, it could be a little, not as ideal for that application. Hope that makes sense. Gero Boca, you definitely need to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Gero Boca is asking turbo versus supercharger. We talked about that last week. So go to the Bixamoto YouTube page, take a look at the very nice uh, Tech Tuesday we had then. I was here in the office. I was talking, a little, I think, a little bit about the uh, Hyundai Veloster N, and I go into much detail about the advantages and disadvantages of each, which is pretty nice, you know? MJ Photograph, my neighbor, he is asking for a friend, what sporty used car would you buy for 10K thereabout? Me? S2000. What do you think? What would you buy for $10,000, Albert? Sporty car. Sporty. 10 grand. Not a lot of money, but you can get some car, good car with that. I say the S2000. Um, if you want to do something a little more German, I love the Boxster. It's pretty, pretty freaking good for, for 10,000. Kevin, what do you think? For 10 grand, what do you think is good? For ten thousand dollars, what's a good sporty used car for about ten grand? Uh, 
now you'll be stuck. Or, you know, since we're all enthusiasts, you're going to modify it later on. But you got 10 grand, you want something cool for the meantime, and you'll end up upgrading a little bit. He's probably going to tell me some, like a Camaro or something. Kevin says it depends what you're going to do with it. I like the S2K. Are you still thinking, Albert? I'm just thinking. Thinking? Any, any, any choices about a $10,000 car? She's like, ah, oh, no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> she says no. Okay. So, ah, Joe J72 has a good question. What do I prefer, B-Series or K? Obviously, I've never owned a B-Series car. Did you know that, Kevin? <laughs> I've never owned one. And the reason why, because I went from a D to an F, which flows better, to a K, which flows even more. So I know and believe that the key to making power is in the head. The K-Series engine's heads flow amazingly well in both NA and boost applications. So I prefer, personally, I prefer the K. And the aftermarket support of the K, I prefer that, you know. Thank you very much, BC, says Dr. Wraith. Cade, how about where to learn about nitromethane? Smoky Unit talks a little bit about that. But if you want to know very good components about nitromethane, pick up any proper OCHEM book. It'll tell you a lot about that, organic chemistry. If you want to know about racing, there are many articles of reputable sources online. You know, LSV Tech, not LSGM, you should be ashamed. So. Um, he's saying LSV Tech, not LS. You said 5.3. So when I say 5.3, it sounds like a GM LS. And F Body's muscle is telling me not to be ashamed. I should be ashamed of myself for saying, not saying LSV Tech, but he says V Tech with a CH on the end. Shame on you, FD Body Muscle, for saying, calling V Tech V Tech. V Tech is a cool phone, though. Very nice. AP1 or AP2? Ooh. If I was road racing, I like the AP1s. If I was putting around town a lot and didn't want to modify a lot, I like the torque of the AP2s. Especially the AP2s that have the F22Cs. I like those. What do you think? 2005. Which one? 2005? Mm -hmm. 2005. That's the one that Albert likes, which is pretty nice, you know? Um, E90 says G Dinero. Hey, Kevin, you're a, you're a Beamer guy. He says, one guy says E90. He's the way to go. E30, he said. Oh, wow. I'm getting some good options here, which is nice. DC5, T35i BMW, G35s. Wow, this, a Cyclone. Those are pretty. I don't see Cyclones very often, which is pretty cool, you know. Um, S2K for 10K. Yeah, there, there's some. There's some high mileage ones I've seen. Up. Actually, AJ, there is um, a friend of mine, um, very good guy, very local, helps me look decent every week. Fabian, who has has one for sale. He has a clean title, it's thousand for sale. I think for like nine grand, nineteen grand, which is pretty good, you know. Um, KFTW, absolutely. Yeah, you can make power on a D. You can make power on a B, Marlon. You can make power on a D. You can make power on an F. You can make power on an A series. But all things being equal, in terms of horsepower per dollar, the K is really, really good. Um, it's really good. We have. 450 horsepower bone stock K-series driving around that's boosted. It's so awesome, you know. Um, Kevin, you're right. Kevin right here is saying, well, the world's fastest Honda Civic still has a B in it. And because, of course, the guys from Speed Factory are having a great time with it, but they know their market. The B-series is still the small block Chevy of the Honda world. So you still continue to see aftermarket support with that. But when you look at head flow, 
the potential for the K is still superior. It really is. Thank you so much, Ainat Mostia. Thanks for the kind words. Gmo, good seeing you, sir. Thank you for joining us. By all means, you know. Um, AJ Thompson 78 is asking, how do I determine rod bearing clearances for newly engineered engine parts for OEMs, J35, K24Z7? I've had so many experiences, and I'm crazy, AJ. You may think I'm absolutely bonkers, but the engine components don't know what they're doing. And what I mean by that, the clearances I use on my Ds, taking that technology, going to Bs, taking that technology, going to Fs, taking that technology, going to Ks, they all seem to be very consistent. So based upon my experience of building engines, what my what goals are, and how the engines respond to different bearing clearances is what has given me the opportunity to know what to do in the future. What I have noticed is as the manufacturer's demands for oil viscosity goes down in the sense of efficiency, those bearing clearances are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And you also see a very nice correlation between those tighter clearances and the maximum RPM limits that are given for those vehicles. So what do I do? I take my experience that I've done with D-series, with B-series, with J-series, with K-series, with Fs, and I transfer that to newer engines that I've built. So you'll see me building engines in the teens in terms of clearances for both rods and mains. Even if the engines came in in the fraction of teens, in the eights, in the sevens from factory. It's very important that I always build engines with the end in mind and design my internal components accordingly and use the oil that's ideal for those bearing clearances. The materials don't know what they're doing but you as an engine builder can determine what the goals are and build your engine accordingly based upon the desired goal and function, you know? Delink Design says is my favorite non-beast motor build, where if you're thinking of a build that is factory, favorite, I like the Viper. <laughs> Viper is an awesome car. Um, the NSX is really cool now as well. From a build perspective that another tuner has done, I would say I'm really partial to some of the Vipers that Nmoto has done. Nmoto will build easily a 1200 horsepower daily during Viper twin turbo. It will have all the functions of a factory car and make 1200 horsepower. Go to drag strip, put down some eights, drive down a half mile, run some very nice triple digit speeds, it's, it's, and, and, and look like a, a proper American supercar. So I like what Nmoto in the Midwest is doing. I think they're out in uh, Minnesota as well. It's pretty nice, you know? Um, am I coming to Car Week this year again in Monterey? Yes! Joe, my goal. That is going to be my new mecca. I definitely want to be able to do that, by all means, you know? Um, hello, Focus Mark One. Good seeing you. Hello, Ricky. Good afternoon, you know? Um, Kevin is doing a good job at answering some questions here. Thank you, Kevin, for helping out. I really appreciate that, you know? Um, who will make the overhead cam valve train in your... In your Viper build, since it's your first overhead cam OEM build, who will make the overhead valve train? Um, we typically do a lot of bespoke stuff. So the windings, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. I have about four sources I use for windings for, for valves and springs. Um, and if I'm really in a bind, I can jump into the engineering prowess of our friends from Supertech. They're really good people. I wouldn't mind playing with them as well. My fastest eighth mile on a BC Tune street legal car. Fastest eighth mile. Fastest eighth mile on a street, ooh, street legal. We're in California. Is there anything I've tuned that someone takes the eighth mile that's street legal? Eighth mile. Because we have an Irwindale Speedway not too far away from here. Kevin, your car's in street legal, right? <laughs> Marvin's in the street legal either. I don't have any street legal cars that I did, you know, which is pretty strange, you know? Street legal is a gray area. 
It is, yeah, street legal is a great area. So if you're talking about 100% street legal, I don't have anything. Um, do I think Acura would ever make some sort of Type R? Some sort of, of what kind of new Type R? No, they won't. They have, um, from discussions I've had of Acura recently, um, their A spec is something they really hang their hat on. And, you know, <laughs> what was that? Sheep, you all pass smog? Yeah. Yeah, sure, why not? Um, Sheepy has three little cars that all pass smog. That's good, Alex. What? <laughs> I'm talking about something that you take to the California Air Resource Board. They pick a part. I'm, I'm very particular. They pick a part and there's absolutely nothing ever tampered with with any emissions equipment. That's, that's, very, that's very challenging. Ganges, that's a perfect size. A 58-58 turbo is a very good size for 500 wheel for K20. Nice spool, nice response, and you can actually cruise in partial vacuum, which is pretty nice, you know? I know, AJ. AJ, for someone who's across the... <laughs> yeah, never mind, Alex. For someone who's across the pond, you're quite knowledgeable. Montana, Las Vegas, what's another good place? Delaware, those are pretty good places to have an LC. <laughs> What's my thoughts on Cali making the exhaust laws more strict? Um, I don't know if they're going to make it any more strict, but if they do, that's, that's really sad for the industry. But here's me once again. Fast Flores on the same lines as was asked a moment ago. Um, the new exhaust laws create an opportunity. Just like people say, you know, BC, how do you feel about an impending uh, economic downturn? What does that mean? Wherever there is a challenge, there's opportunity. It really gives companies like us, Alex, you're here as well, the guys from Borla, there are a lot of companies out there, Albert's here as well. It gives the opportunity for people to create newer designs that can allow you to eat your cake and have it too. To fall within the realm of legality, but also give you the power and reliability that you need, which is pretty nice. Yeah, Jeremiah, sure you're, yeah, you are very street legal. <laughs> Super street legal, you know. Why are Japanese cars so unappreciated in the old-timer market? Well, Ling, it depends. If you talk about old-school Japanese, it's appreciated. There's a, in, at least in Southern California, and Ling, I don't know if you've been here in SoCal, but there's a strong old-school JDM culture here. Amazingly bananas. If you go to, you used to be at Queen Mary, and now it's going to a bigger venue. If you go to like a Japanese classic car show, it is bananas. It's ridiculous. It rivals, if not surpasses, some of the crazy domestic stuff that goes on here. So it's still very strong. Other parts of the country, if you go to Motor City, Detroit, of course not. But in SoCal, it's pretty off the hook over here. It's pretty nice, you know? That race Focus asking, have I ever worked on a first-gen Focus? No, I have not. The closest thing to any Ford product I've done and had fun with, that's a bit of a first generation, would be the first-generation EcoBoost Mustang. That's something we've done and had great success with, you know? When will I be at the, speed, at the Irwindale Speedway? Guess what? I'm shooting a photo shoot with Super Street on Monday. Supposed to be Friday, but something came up, so I'm moving to Monday. After that, I'm gonna live in Irwindale. So don't be surprised if that very same Thursday I'm out there. Uh, um, Kevin, is it Thursday only now or is it multiple days for Irwindale? Oh, that's true. He's not your favorite track. How about you? Do you know about Irwindale Drag Speed? It used to be Thursday a lot, but. Thursday should be Thursday. Yeah, so I'll be there very often, you know. Things are great, Dan. It's good seeing you, sir. Hope everything is well. You know what, I haven't, brother, I haven't been to Hawaii. He's asking I should visit Hawaii. I haven't been to Hawaii in eons. I would say it's, it's been over 10 years. I need to go to Hawaii. I heard it's pretty awesome, and a great call culture there as well. Good evening, I did good. How are you, sir? Hope everything is well. Boosted GD3, must be a fit guy, says, 
do I have an engine dyno room or do I use only the hub or rotor? So I don't have an engine dyno room. When I have the need to send the engine overseas, there's a facility right, literally a stone throw for me, where I can use, and I have used their engine dyno. But in-house, I use the closest thing to an engine dyno that allows me to put the engine in its natural environment. And that is the dyno pack. When you tune an engine, especially an ITB or carbureted engine that has ex external or, or vented horns, in an engine room, when you put it in an engine bay where the firewall is close to it, it changes the dynamics of the engine completely. So for me, it's much more cost effective and ideal for my clients and allows me to do a better job if I have the engine built, I can experiment with external components on the engine room, but still tune it on a hub-based dyno where I don't have any variables of tire growth, tire slippage, any challenges with data corruption by having alignment that's not ideal, on a dyno pack, I have one wheel facing forward and the other one facing sideways, and it still tunes very nicely. It has no influence whatsoever whether you have a good alignment or not, you know? Um, I didn't good know. I'm, I've been so busy taking care of customers. I haven't had the opportunity to do that, you know? Thank you so much, BD. Boosted GD3 for me. Appreciate the kind words, indeed. Um, I didn't good. I've just been swamped. Ever been to Sweden? No, but I want to. I was just talking, I was at the NHRA Museum. And I was talking to some film crew people and we're thinking about doing something really creative with the team where Sweden will be one of the venues to go out there because I understand in Sweden there's a huge car culture there. And I'd love to be explored firsthand and have some fun, you know? Son of Payne asking, have I ever thought about appearing in the Street Outlaws trilogy? No, I haven't. I'm not, please don't kill me. I'm not even familiar with that show. I've heard of it through my customers. I've seen commercials, but I've never watched a full episode. I've even met the cast of the shows at the Turbinex booth at PRI, like multiple times every year, but I haven't had a chance. Are you familiar with the show, Upper Bank Chance, The Street Outlaws? How about you, Kevin? Is that one of your shows you enjoy? Oh, I watch that show faithfully. Oh, he, so I have, a, I have a disciple here on the show who faithfully watches it. Yeah, it's on the pain. I'm keeping it real. I don't really watch much television. It's really sad. Um, I watch Jeopardy, don't kill me. <laughs> Once in a while, Robert's <laughs> laughing at me. But I really don't, I really don't uh, watch a lot of telly and definitely don't do that, you know. Um. <laughs> oh my God. When, when you tune your engine on the dyno, what times do you tune like due to weather effects on the vehicle? So here's the great thing. Luckily for us, we have corrections on the dynos. SAE-based corrections by Society of Automotive Engineers and some STP information that's also taken into consideration. We have no control over climate, but I try to limit tuning during places when it's extremely cold or extremely humid. I try to, you know, but the dynos do have a good, do a good job in doing some corrections. The key thing is this when you dyno tune, and I say this to customers and people who even jump from one dyno to another, it's not good to even compare dynos, different dynos. What you want to do is come in a certain way and leave much better. That's what's important, you know. What would I say is the best car ever built? Wow, the best. The best, the best car I've ever built. Wow, that's so, the most creative one is the tied between the Odyssey and the rear wheel drive converted Santa Fe. But the best I've ever built, I should say the wagon probably. That's a good question. It has to be the wagon because it's a front wheel drive wagon, very sleeper, K-series swap. I've never done a swap, K-series swap in any of my engines. I usually keep a K and a K chassis, like the 19 Civic we did for Honda. 
It's all-wheel drive with components from the CRV. It has a sequential gearbox. It has drive-by-wire. It has all the modern technology. It has flex fuel, modern technology in an old-school 25-year-plus classic car. It's pretty cool. But I'm also partial to the Blue Porsche. It was my first foray into the Porsche market with two troubles in the rear that also has modern technology. But the Kevin, you were with me when I did partial throttle on the, on the wagon. That thing felt awesome, didn't it? Awesome. So <laughs> Kevin was with me when we went to Eibach event. And we just went down near Eibach and I just went half throttle. That thing was, it didn't even spin. It was awesome. It was really cool. Which I'm not used to, you know. Quick thoughts. Says Nagibibutritz. On the F22 versus F23 is neutral. Okay, I will tell you my thoughts on the F22. Let's, and let's make it very simple. Let's talk about the F22A versus the F23. F23 has a little bit longer stroke. So you're going from a 95 to 97. So there's a little advantage there. The F23 on that same stroke has much narrower bearings, which I don't find very appealing in terms of being able to provide a good boundary for power. I like to use wider bearings where possible. Um, I also have the advantage with the F22A because the F23 has a 55mm main journal while the F22A has a 50mm main journal. What does that mean? That means the speed's a little bit different for the viscosity levels between the, 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 between the boundary of the crankshaft and the bearing. And that leads itself to a little bit of power and a little bit of cool longevity. But the key thing, as I talked about, is this seems to be the topic of the day, is head flow. The F22A, by far, on both intake and exhaust, outflows the F23 VTEC, period. Now it's good to have the VTEC assembly on the F23, which allows you to have a much nicer torque curve down low and up top, especially with larger camshafts. It also gives you the additional challenge of a heavier valve train because you are VTEC, but the F22A, I'm telling you guys, I've made north of 430 wheel NA on the F22A. I can't do the F23. The head is just too limiting for me. Not only with valve train, but also in terms of the head flow. By all means, I have to go with the F22A, non-defect setup. Um, Gmo's asking, have I ever got a speeding ticket? Of course! I've got a speeding ticket and exhibition of speed ticket. <laughs> I don't like Kevin has seven of them. He's so naughty. He has seven. So I've had that, you know. Mark, yes. Today, um, I showed one of my earlier engines on Pirol, some of my experiment engines. That engine made 408 to the wheels, and I gained like 12 wheel on this oil. So yes, um, F22 engine. I built this F22 engine. You may have seen the crazy picture. Everyone's complaining about me having a Fram filter on it, which is crazy. But there's an F22A picture in my feed here on Instagram where you see ITBs and this crazy header. Um... First time I put that engine ever on a dyno, experimental, the thing made 178 to the wheels, and I kept adding on to that and got it north of 400 NA. It was, uh, I put it in my inside, and it was the first all-motor car to hit 150 in a quarter mile. Um, it was also the first, uh, and probably only, car to do, oh, maybe it's changed now, I haven't kept up to date, but it was the first to do uh, run nines on gasoline. It's the first non-VTEC to even run nines. Guess what, and my car is still unibody. It's not back half or front half. I still want a stock windshield on that thing, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I love the F22A as well. It's, I love it very much, you know. Um, what fuel did I ran on the D-Series CRX? Great question. First, I made my own fuel, and I was banned very quickly. I used a, um, uh, a base from Chevron, added uh, tetraethyl lead and toluene, and when people started pissing me off, I added a slightly decomposed um, 
uh, thin chain oil to clean ester so it can smell a certain way just to piss people off more. Uh, I was able to get it to smell like strawberries and grape and I tried to get chocolate, I didn't get it right. And then I was banned because people were complaining and I quickly shifted over to VPC12 and I ran C12 for a long time. So a lot of my records that I made were on VPC12. Um, and then I think I played it on C14 after a while too. Uh, do I remember the engine build contest I did for Modify Mac? Well, of course, I do remember the engine build that I did, I think it was far back as 2007. That was um, for the entire conglomerate of Source Interlink. And I represented Super Street. Modified had their own builder. Um, Turbo Magazine had their own builder. Lowrider had their own builder. And yes, that's where we fared better than Cosworth. I built an NA setup. And the people from AMS won because they built a turbo setup. And because, even though I didn't win that competition, it created an opportunity for me to build the first Wago van because someone started talking crap to me, which is pretty interesting, from the winning team. And what was the purpose of that? Every disappointment is a blessing. Just like the Wago van wouldn't exist if I didn't lose on the show on Netflix. Because the wagon didn't do, and the van didn't do well, by all means, I was able to build a wagon. So every disappointment is a blessing, you know. Oh yes, thank you so much. I will check your email. I will check your email, Jordan, by all means, you know. Um, does elevation matter in horsepower in a K-series turbo NA build? It affects both. As you go up in elevation, for every amount of air ingested, you have a lower amount of oxygen. And oxygen is the key component to combusting with fuel to create power. I've said this in many Tech Tuesdays. Our engines are nothing but glorified energy converters. What does that mean? We have the chemical energy of gasoline or the chloride content in the fuel and the chemical energy that's contained in the oxygen that's combined. So you have the chemical energy that comes together, is combusted to form heat energy. That heat energy does work on the piston and transfers to mechanical energy, which goes to the crankshaft, which takes up and down motion and converts to rotational. So it's an energy converter. So that being said, if you deplete the amount of oxygen ingested, you have less power. And since you rely on atmospheric pressure in NA setups, naturally aspirated engines, what happens? When you go to elevation, you don't have that power. I mean, I used to go to Palmdale and race, which is only 26 to 2900 feet elevation. Sometimes the density altitude would be 4,000 feet, and we'll lose half a second on the quarter mile. It was horrible. Our cars felt like crap. I was so happy when I broke 11s over there. I was happy. For me to break 11s in Palmdale, I was like, I thought I was king tough. On turbocharged applications, it's a little bit more forgiving because you can crank up the boost and indirectly ingest more by creating more pressure into the engine so you can compensate with boost, which is pretty nice. You know. um, how do I feel about rotary engines? Joe J, I like them very much. I like the rotary because it has fewer moving parts. Definitely pales in comparison when you compare it to a, a piston-style engine. Much fewer parts. I think it's very clever how the engine design works and how it does with ingestion of air, the combustion and expulsion of combusted gases. It's very small, relatively lightweight, gives you opportunity to put a lower center of gravity. They sound really, really cool. They just create a lot of heat and are not very environmentally friendly in terms of emissions. It's very hard to control the emissions and heat in those, you know? Marky Mark says, can you build me a dry sump system for my Turbo D-Series? I could, but it'd be a pretty penny being a one-off. The challenge with the D-Series market is that a lot of guys who go into that are very frugal, so when you create something, it doesn't really move very well. Um, I can point you in the right direction to help out, but it could be a pretty penny. If you're serious, write to us, and I'll see what I can do to help you out, okay? Um, 
How much time we got left? 10 minutes. <laughs> a little bit about 10 minutes and I'd be gone. I'd take the guys to lunch and whatnot, you know? Um, what have you spent over $1,000 on, Kevin? Well, some guys ask me average tuning costs. Okay, okay. On, like, so, um, setups and stuff. Yes. For a guy who has a straightforward build, um, and my team will tell you this if you ever call in here, I charge $220 an hour for tuning, and the average tune is two to three hours if you have no challenges whatsoever. So you have a standard, straightforward Civic, Porsche, um, um, you know, whatever the case may be, Integra, type of, it's really straightforward, you know? So, machine spirits, I need diesel applications. The sad thing is that as we interact with a lot of OEMs, OEMs are moving farther and farther away from diesel. It still has, diesel still have this mindset of being a dirty fuel. Porsche has already started with that whole challenge of ceasing all production of diesels and others will follow suit. If CES, Consumer Electronics Show, that we go to Vegas every year is an indication of the future of automotive, you're going to see a lot more hybrids and EVs coming from every manufacturer, you know? Slip BMW is asking, what's my next build? So in the back of the facility, well, first we're going to do some, something really exciting with Hyundai this year, which I'm very proud about. We're in talks with Mazda, so something may come way from our friends from Japan. You never know. I have a Mercedes, old school, E1, oh, I say E1, 190E coming, and an AW11 MR2, which is pretty cool. Yep, 8-pound DC flywheel, even lower. My D-series custom flywheel in my Insight with my HDD kit is like 6.5 pounds, which is awesome, you know? Thank you. What a machinist, what are you vomiting about? Shame on you. Tell me what you're vomiting about, you know? Uh, at what point would watermelon be a good idea for a street Honda on 91? Well, definitely if you have anything boost or you have high compression. Um, our friends at AEM do have a kit that is boost and TPS based. So with boost based, you can be able to adjust it based upon the threshold of boost. And it's not a dump, it is a wean assembly. So you have this very nice gradient from middle to, to maximum. You can also do it based upon throttle position if you have an NA setup where you have a challenge of any kind of detonation. The technology from water methanol came from World War II when good fuel was getting scarcer and scarcer to find and jets, planes needed a very cost effective way of keeping octane up. So by doing that, you have an opportunity to keep um, uh, knock and damaging detonation at bay. And if you have methanol as an additive, in this say in a 50-50 mixture, which is very safe, it has a little bit of advantage of a caloric input that can allow you to make more power, which is pretty nice, you know? And then good is saying, would a lightweight flywheel be good for a turbo build? Yes, I use it all the time. Even my wagon has aluminum flywheel on a twin disc application. It allows you the opportunity to Rev up quickly, improve spool, but it also falls out of boost very quickly as well. So you have to mind your P's and Q's when you're driving. But since the name of the game is to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible, the lightweight flywheel helps tremendously. Teams and people who have more money than all of us combined, being F1, they go out of their way to use assemblies that are very small and very lightweight. Carbon and carbon fibers used extensively, even in drivetrain components, to be able to mimic what we see with flywheels, which is pretty exciting, you know? Good thing as well, luxury furniture brand. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Frank Ray Figs. Thank you so much. Am I going to any events with Craig Lieberman? I keep getting this. Is Craig doing something above and beyond what he did back in the day with Nopi? Let me know. Last week or a couple weeks ago, I was asked if I'm going to build a new super with Craig Lieberman. Maybe I should give him a call and find out what he's doing. Um, Craig and I have a very good relationship that spanned many, many decades. So I'd love to be able to talk to him and see what he has going on, you know? 
Yes, there are carbon-based flywheels that exist in many aspects of motorsports, by all means, you know? I plan Marky Marks to TM to go super fast in MR2. I'm a sucker for mid-engine rear-wheel drive applications that are very, very exciting, you know? When will I be next at the Fontana track? Drag race, I need to look at the schedule because I want to be out there and have some fun. On the road race track, I think our next out, go out event is the California Festival of Speed, which we're trying to be, get um, a boot there, which is pretty nice, you know? Frank Figgs, Mercedes is just chilling in the, in the shop right now. We're just trying to reorganize for the year and see how it can pan out. But I haven't touched it in the past couple of weeks. I haven't touched it this year at all, to be honest with you. We're in the mid of February right now. I haven't touched it yet. We've discussed it. I'm even considering either building it this year or building MR2. I may have to choose one. Building both may be a little bit of a drain for us, but, you know, it depends. Uh, Misfying, Misfit Gang CA is asking, do we sponsor? Oh, my God, time is flying. Okay. Yes, we do. Um, I help teams as much as possible. I, I provide partial sponsorships for products that we carry and products of our partners. So whether it's Purell, Turbinetics, AEM, we help as much as possible. The more enthusiasts out there having fun, the better the scene is. So we're always here to help, you know? Um, you're putting in an order this weekend. Can you save an AEM fuel pump 85 compatible? Yes, I can, Nathan. I have quite a few in stock here for many applications. Whether it's Honda, Subaru, Porsche, I have them all, you know? Thank you so much, Frank. I appreciate the kind words. I look forward to making it very exciting, you know? So, Son of Pain, what is a good car to buy under 5,000 to tune? Street Strip. Under five grand? Oh, that's tough. Impossible. Kevin said impossible. The trainer, what are you drawing? What is that? Um, he says, oh, five grand, that's tough. Modifiable under five grand. I would say an RSX. <laughs> I would say an RSX. You can get an RSX. Um, you can do a flash, do some cool stuff, NA. You can find a Type S or maybe a base. No? What do you think? 2000 Civic SI. A 2000 Civic SI? Yeah. With a K? Good. No, that's B. Let's find one of those. Under 5K, a Miata. Miatas are cool, fun, offer a lot, but tunability. And they're kind of slow, but tunability is kind of... Unless you're talking about tunability of suspension and tracking. That may be really cool. Mia, my, um, Miami... Mia, Mia, Miata Station. Yes, you're probably right. 335i? Yes, you can probably find a 335i for five grand, but you're going to spend a lot trying to bring it up to spec and maintain it. BMWs are pretty expensive. UK prices. <laughs> a K-Swap Miata. Now that's really cool. Yeah. 10 grand, yeah, you can do that. And 10 grand, I mentioned earlier on um, S2K, which is pretty good, you know? An old GSR and throw 100 shot of nitrous on it, says Jeremiah. You are such a NOS guy. Weren't you like, weren't you like NOS 100 shot back in the day? I think you still are that. Send right shot, NOS. Yeah, you're all about the bottle. All about the bottle. <laughs> What's your, what do you prefer brand for street driving and racing? I love Momo, by far. I love the Prototipo. I love the Mod 80. I'm a huge Momo fan, by all means. Bottles are life, bottles for babies. I used to say injectors are for little nurses. So what do I know, you know? When am I gonna build a 240? I'll tell you for real, Mark, before I let you go, because it's time for me to depart. Um, I will build a 240 as soon as I get a, who said 500 shot of nitrous? <laughs> oh my God. I will build a 240 as soon as I secure a very good relationship with Nissan. Because what I love to do with manufacturers as we develop relationships is build cars that are congruent in terms of the entire car culture. What I mean by that, 
Let's say, for example, with Mazda. In the event that I do something with Mazda, I'd love to build a really new school car that's current, up to date, and build something old school and really show how the soul of performance exists in something old and new. I'm a huge advocate of that, you know? Hello, Duran. I didn't even know you were here. Just ninjaed up in here. I didn't know. Good seeing you, sir. You know? You do have a. Yeah, you do. Have I a, do. You do. So I'm going to have Kevin out. So I'll live vicariously through him, but he may end up doing something more muscle. I know him. He's going to probably do something like that. Jado Muscle, I appreciate both, you know. Ronnie says, have I ever built a Civic? No. Hopper's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin said no. Okay, so Civic. Can I, cover, can I consider CRX a Civic CRX? Yeah. Okay. CRX. So my first car that I performed, manufactured, parts for, and even modified was a Civic CRX. Um, my first wagon was a Civic. I have a Civic wagon now. I built a 2012 Civic to help Honda launch the 9th Gen Civic application. So yeah, I have a Civic wagon in the back in the house and the 9th Gen Civic in the house too. So yes, answer is yes. Okay, Bites is, is laughing. Oh my God. Well guys, it was a slice of heaven. I must depart and take the team out to grab a bite and discuss some cool plans for this year, including the Mercedes-Benz. So thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, by all means. And that being said, um, Oh, 9-11 weather, thank you so much for supporting the Pulse Chamber. If you don't have a, if you don't have a, um, a sound arrester, we do have them stuff, we can help you. Good seeing you, Dennis. But earlier on, I did a presentation on, on Puro. It's still up here on Instagram. Take a look. I'm going to post it up on YouTube very soon. But by all means, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for attending all across the globe. Stay tuned and have a great day. And you know, that's a cool name, Reasons Holes Are Broke. Very interesting screen name there. But nonetheless, take care, guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.